just before we start, I thought maybe it would be helpful to take the listeners uh, through what an indemnity clause or waiver or exemption, because these terms are interchangeable exactly as. You mentioned in your address that it's a clause that's found in various contracts, and the purpose is to indemnify one or other of the contracting parties. So what do we mean when we say indemnify a party? What are we protecting them from? In any contract which parties enter into, there are rights and obligations, so there are duties. So, for instance, if I'm going out to rent a car, I expect that the rental company will ensure that the car is fit for the purposes for which I rent it. However, if I'm presented with a standard form or contract which indemnifies them, it protects the rental company in the instance that that company that the car doesn't meet those standards. So, should should I be in an accident and I'm injured and I incur expenses, medical expenses, and I require future care, I won't be able to recover those uh, those damages from the rental company if the exemption clause is upheld. So, the waiver indemnity protects the rental company. And one may ask, why would why would a rental company or uh, a leasing a property leasing company want to have an indemnity clause or, pr- or provision in a contract? It's really to provide them with commercial certitude, protect them from the risk of the injury or the harm arising, uh, reduce the insurance premium and the like. Mm, but we we seem to see this everywhere. I mean, you can go around uh, to a mall, for example. Um, you know, you go to uh, a parking lot. And, and, and I actually kept uh, parking tickets uh, uh, because I wanted to read this. And it goes on to say, Z, the risk of loss and damage to vehicles and any property therein or attached thereto related to the property, whilst vehicles and related property are within the car park arising from any cause whatsoever the uh, company is not responsible all persons entering the car park do so at their own risk the company shall not be liable for any loss or damage suffered in consequence or injuries uh, to or death of such a person arising from any cause whatsoever any vehicle parked illegally in the car park may be removed by the company and this ticket must be presented to the attendant cashier uh, upon exiting. Now, it, it, it often baffles one that you go into this parking lot, you are paying, and the assumption is very often that you are paying for some form of security because very often we don't read what is written on uh, these uh, parking tickets, the conditions of parking. So, Kina, you raise a number of very good points, but let's unpack what is actually happening there when you accept the ticket and drive through into the parking lot because I'm wearing both the hat of uh, uh, an attorney who litigates for consumer rights, but in this instance for this hour, I'm also going to be wearing the hat of a commercial entity which, which uh, is providing a service. So when you, when you enter into the parking lot, not only, as you say, are you expecting to have some security, but the, the rental company, that's the, the car company, is providing you a space within which you can park your car. Uh, and in return for having that space, that convenience of being below a shopping center or on a street which, where you want to visit, you are paying a, a, a price for that space. So they, they can dictate the terms of an agreement. If you accept the ticket and you drive through into that space, then you, it can be said that you've accepted the terms of that agreement. So if you don't want to accept those terms, don't choose to park in the parking garage. That is the one argument. But shouldn't it be pointed out to you more overtly that have you read the terms and conditions and therefore you are now bound by whatever they are? Exactly. So this is where the common law 
and subsequently the consumer protection legislation, which maybe we can speak about in some detail later on, come into play. The common law allows the courts uh, an opportunity to examine these agreements and to determine whether or not they are fair and whether or not the indemnity or waiver should be imposed. And you, as the client of the parking uh, garage, should be excluded from recovering any damages if, for instance, your car is damaged, hampered, or stolen while parked there. In, t in deciding whether or not that waiver or indemnity is enforceable, the court will examine, was this brought to your attention? How was it brought to your attention? Is the manner in which, in, in which it was brought to your attention sufficient? Uh, are the terms of the indemnity clear? In other words, uh, when you accept a ticket uh, entering into a parking garage, there are the ordinary risks of parking in a garage. You could be struck by another vehicle uh, over which the parking garage has no control, or perhaps um, there, there is a, a, a fire alarm and water goes off which may cause damage to your car. Those perhaps are, are, could be said to be foreseeable risks. In other words, you can foresee that that kind of damage could occur parking in a parking garage. But there are other types of, of harms or, or risks which you would not foresee. And then the court must decide, are those, are those risks ones against which you've indemnified the parking garage? By way of an example, um, in a recent decision, a, uh, a, a consumer, a, a client of one of the motor dealers, left his, his motor vehicle for repair at the dealer and signed an indemnity. So not only was the indemnity... Uh, one, it wasn't one that was put on a wall. It was one which he signed. In other words, he read the contents of the, the form, he accepted the terms, and he signed below. And he indemnified the, the dealer from any theft to the, uh, from, or to the, uh, of the vehicle. And, of course, as you would expect as the matter went to court, his vehicle was stolen right out of the dealer's lot. <laughs> and he pursued a claim against the dealer for the damages. In other words, he said, I wasn't insured. Now, please pay me the balance of what is owed because the car was under your care. Mm. And you allowed uh, uh, somebody to come onto your premises, onto your lot, and remove the car. That's negligence. The dealer's defense, they didn't dispute that. What they said was, you, can, you cannot pursue a claim against us because you've indemnified us. You've said to us that we protected against our own negligence mm. should this occur. Um, the court considered the provision and, it, and in its interpretation of this provision said a reasonable person in the position of the consumer, the client of the dealer in this case, would not have foreseen that somebody would have removed the car in total. What a reasonable person would have foreseen in this instance is the removal of goods from the car. And so in that instance, the indemnity was interpreted against the, the dealer. But uh, the, then the question arises, Zvi, uh, can you actually, um, if, if, if you are presented with a form to sign, can you actually decline? You, you can decline, but in those terms, uh, in those instances, uh, the supplier of the goods may well refuse to let you have those goods. I don't know when you last rented a, a car from one of the uh, dealerships, uh, one of the car um, rental companies at the airport, but if you turn to the indemnity clause and scratch it out, most of the car uh, rental companies will not, will not allow you to remove the car from the premises. So they won't allow you to make alterations to the agreement, which is a standard form pre-printed agreement uh, when you present it with it. And all that means is that after having taken your flight to where you want to go and then to leave the airport, you're then left stranded either having to use public transport or returning back to where you came from. 
and that's they're not it's not only car rental companies it's also uh, uh, gyms which say that uh, if you're going to use their uh, um, facilities then you indemnify them against their negligence so for instance if a gym doesn't properly maintain its weights or its machines and you mm. all know how extremely complicated those machines can be with wires and weights uh, should one of those fall on your head then they are indemnified in terms of that agreement just doesn't sound right and 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 it gets worse in uh, you know depending on the situation as parents of school going children we all go through this and and i have many a time sat looked at this thing but then you have to weigh up whether you sign the indemnity form or your child stays at home and misses out on an excursion here's one um, that i want to read to you and the listeners v it says i the parent or guardian of the child's name hereby consent that he or she may attend uh, whatever school from the date stated below i hereby unconditionally and irrevocably indemnify the head and the staff of the aforementioned school and any other person acting on behalf of the head and staff against all damage, all loss, discomfort, medical treatment, hospitalization or death resulting or arising from an accident or any other occurrence during the duration of my child's registration at whatever school. Now, that just sounds wrong on so many levels. Well, absolutely. I mean, wearing my hat as a, uh, an attorney for consumer rights, if, you, if the school undertakes to, provide, to take the children on a school trip, then they undertake also to ensure safe custody of the children for that period of time, just as they are whilst they are in school. And the ordinary obligations of a, a reasonable school teacher would apply. In other words, the, the care which the teacher on this field trip must take of your child is that which a reasonable teacher would, would take uh, in those circumstances. So to exclude that liability is severely prejudicial. And that raises a very interesting question because, in fact, the minor child uh, who's under the age of 18 cannot contract freely him or herself. So he's relying on the guardian to do so. Mm. And in our law, in some recent decisions now, the Supreme Court of Appeal has, said, has raised the question of whether or not a guardian can prejudice a minor child in such an agreement. So can a guardian uh, waive or forfeit the rights which the minor child would have to recover damages if, if the child was injured, um, despite the fact that the, that the minor child has no say in it? And the courts have, have, have ruled that that is in fact not the case. If the guardian is going to be prejudiced, is going to prejudice the, the minor child, then that agreement can be set aside. But that that is at a court of law. Once uh, legal action has been instituted, uh, the question which your listeners want to know is: Well, what happens if I refuse to sign this? Mm-hmm. What happens if I refuse to present this indemnity or waiver? Can the school then? Uh, request, uh, uh, decide that my child should stay at home for this field trip while the rest of the class goes along and enjoys the experience. Yes. Uh, and, and I'm afraid the answer to that is that the school may well decide to do that. They may say, well, if you don't sign the indemnity, then we're not going to allow the child to attend the, to attend the, the school.